Ladies and gentlemen, hello and welcome to the Splendour Forum. Thanks very much for coming out. And please make welcome all our panellists today. I'll introduce them all to you in a second. But coming out, guys. My name is Julian Morrow. Welcome to the, uh, the Splendour Forum, or as I like to call it, the Wanker Chill-Out area. I hope you're having a good time. Um, the full session, the full title of today's session is quite a mouthful. It's Big Brother versus Little Brother, from Government and Big Business to WikiLeaks and Anonymous, who really controls our online secrets. And that is all we have time for today. So thank you very much. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed it. Please make welcome our members of the panel. From Hungry Beast, we have Nick Hayden and Mark Fennell. Hungry Beast, one of the, the best series on Australian television this year, uh, and Mark, the man who, according to the Department of Communications, was single-handedly responsible for 63% of Australia's illegal downloading in the calendar year of 2010. So congratulations, Mark. That's right, yes, he's sharing. Uh, we've also got from um, Risky.biz, tech journalist Patrick Gray. Patrick's podcasts and website have a significant following amongst security professionals, uh, which means that he's an ASIO member, I think. And hello to all the people from ASIO in the crowd today. Good to have you here. We've also got um, Dr. Sulet Dreyfus on the end there. Uh, Sulet's from the University of Melbourne. Uh, she's an information systems expert and she co-wrote Underground with Julian Assange. Uh, which is the story of the uh, the hacking culture in the uh, in the early days uh, and in Melbourne in particular. And so that's one of the few people who actually gets equal billing with Julian Assange in the world today. So that's pretty good. Um, we've also got next to Sulet Grace Morgan, who's uh, Julian's Australian solicitor. Please make her feel welcome and do ask her questions as she's charging five hundred dollars an hour for her attendance today. So. Quite important that we get value for money. Uh, and of course, on the end here, we have Christine Assange, Julian's mother. Please make her feel very welcome. A woman who has a lot to answer for. Uh, if you read the Murdoch Press, and I'm not sure why you would, but if you do, you would know that uh, Christine is, is alleged to run a puppet theatre in Queensland, as the, as the Murdoch Press always says, as if this is some sort of crime. Um, but I, to be honest, I, I, I did find that interesting. I didn't know there were theatres in Queensland. So that, uh, interesting. Christine, of course, is part of the campaign in support of Julian, both uh, for the charges against him to be dropped, for his parole, con for his, not parole, his bail conditions to be uh, lightened, and also for him to be allowed to stay in the mansion where he's uh, on bail at the moment for as long as possible. So he's doing well. Uh, there are guests for today, and we also hope to have sometime in the next 90 minutes uh, Kanye West rushing the stage to give us his incoherent thoughts on WikiLeak and the hotness of Beyonce's latest clip. So that's a lot to look forward to in this next hour or so, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to start the discussion here, and then we'll open it up to some questions as we go through the morning. Um, but I would like to start... Uh, with Christine and ask you a question which I've always wondered about and which I think is fundamentally important. What on earth possesses someone to call their child Julian? I wanted a name that he could travel anywhere with, through all levels of society, <laughs> right. in any country. Because I know a lot of working class Julians, yeah. <laughs> anywhere, that's what I said. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, I, I'd, I'd like to broaden it out a little bit now before we move into WikiLeaks. Uh, in particular, and just ask, and I think I'll, I'll start with Patrick here. 
because it goes to the, the general topic, which is who really controls our online secrets? Is there such a thing as an online secret? That's, you did want to broaden it up, and I think you've gone maybe a little bit too broad because secrets are really... Why do we exist was my follow-up. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, secrets are defined, aren't they? There's different levels of secrets. I mean, that's why we have in the intelligence area and, and, and militaries have different levels of secret uh, with different levels of protection. So an online secret, I don't know really how you'd define an online secret. Is a private Facebook photo album secret? Well, no, it's not. There's not much really that we put out there that is secret. I, I, I guess it's a little bit difficult mm. to answer such a broad question, could, actually, Julian. Could you, you. could you say that, um, I mean, can you confidently in any online transaction, is it reasonable to assume secrecy or privacy? Well, and then you've got to ask yourself secrecy from who? And secrecy yeah. from what? I mean, secrecy from you? Well, my wife and family, mainly. Yeah, yeah. easy, right? Okay, good, good. Um, but secrecy from perhaps, you know, say some really skilled computer hacker who wants to get at your data? Maybe not. Security from interception by law enforcement or intelligence agencies? Probably not. So really, you, you've got to define, you know, a secret is always being... Someone always knows a secret. It's a matter of defining uh, who doesn't know. That's what defines the level of a secret, if that makes any sense. Okay, we'll move on to, to WikiLeaks. Does anyone else want to address the big broad question of online secrecy, whether it exists, whether we should assume it? Sorry, sorry to just jump right into no, a fine. WikiLeaks thing here, but you look at the material that, is, that was most controversially, uh, controversially leaked by WikiLeaks. 500,000 people had access to the computer network that contained that information, yep. and 3 million people in the United States actually hold a secret clearance. So whether or not that stuff is actually secret is becoming quite a debate. Yeah. If 3 million people know something, is it a secret? And it was one of the questions I was going to ask later, but in one I, sense, perhaps the, one of the most significant effects of WikiLeaks in the short term might be to close that circle a little bit. Is there any evidence that people are not distributing information as much because of the Bradley Mannings of this world who have access to that and blank DVDs with Lady, Lady Gaga's Gaga name on them? them yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think there is a lot of that going on at the moment, but I think that's kind of... Uh, I don't think that's necessarily something the, that WikiLeaks supporters would be uh, upset about. If you are restricting the ability of people to write down incriminating stuff and distribute it and circulate it, that's probably a bit of a win. You know, mm. if all of a sudden diplomats aren't talking about rendition in, you know, fairly, in cables that carry a fairly trivial uh, classification, then, yeah, that's probably a win. And I'd say that, uh, yeah, they're not writing down as, as much incriminating stuff anymore. I think that's... Yeah, I want to jump in there on that before we move to the... Grace? Well, I think really the guts of it um, has kind of already been spelt out and it's what kind of information should be secret. Should it be the information that the government decides um, is so important that it must be withheld from our knowledge? Um, in a situation where, in going about our everyday lives, in banking, um, chatting to our friends online, um, conducting any sort of... Um, normal everyday transaction, we necessarily um, are in a situation where our information is not private. So it's really about that issue of reciprocity and where the line is, what should be secret, what is private information and what is information that should not be private. There's a... Let me... Sorry to interrupt. There's a secret that I'd like to know, I'd like to ask Julian's mo uh, mother, is that who is Julian's personal photographer? Because every photograph is, like, 
like a movie poster. They're just brilliant. They're beautiful. All he needs a couple of words over his face. He's naturally beautiful. <laughs> good answer. Very um, good answer. I'd like to answer about the secrets as sure, well. Sure, yeah, yep. Um, until 12 months ago, I didn't know how to use the internet at all. I couldn't email. I couldn't even surf the net. I was forced into it because of my son's activities to find out how much veracity there was in WikiLeaks. I don't necessarily... I support my son emotionally, of course, but I don't necessarily support him intellectually until I knew what was going on. So then became my flirting with the internet. And what I've found when we're talking about online secrets is that there are many great online secrets regarding the government and corporate um, uh, oppression of people and corruption on the internet that weren't available to me through the normal mainstream media. And I don't believe this is the fault necessarily of journalists because I've spoken to them and they do want to print. So I've now become a fan of the internet as long as it stays free. And the things that I discovered online um, changed my perspective about the power in the world and how it was being dealt out and how it was not being shared. Um, so... I'm very supportive now of WikiLeaks, having, having explored the whole thing online, about the secrets that WikiLeaks is putting up. And I think we really, really need to fight to keep the internet free because our mainstream media isn't. Can you give us an example of that, Christine, or some of the stuff that you've um, well, read that's impressed you from your son's work? Well, obviously the collateral video was the first one I saw. He showed me that in my home. But... Just the last couple of days, I think the cable that I've liked the best was the Haiti cables. Um, Haiti, as you know, is a small, um, poor country who's gone through an awful earthquake. And uh, uh, WikiLeaks partnered with a small independent media outlet which was actually made up of Haitian refugees in the US. Um, and what was leaked in the US cables about the um, wrongdoings of the powerful US government and corporations in Haiti um, absolutely disgusted me. Um, they were involved with suppressing um, with 25,000 workers in Haiti who uh, are working for big clothing companies such as Levi Strauss. They're paid a pittance as it is. They were pay, being paid 26 cents an hour. And the last president, the one before we've got now, who has helped put in by the US, wanted to raise that basic minimum wage to 61 cents an hour. And this was happening around the time, just, uh, just prior and just after the earthquake. And the US government um, strong-armed the Haitian president and the people um, to reduce that right down to only an increase of 7 cents per hour. Um, intimating that there would be less help for the Haitian people after the earthquake if this wasn't done. Um, and it, um, it's been estimated that it, it takes um, $12 a day to keep a Haitian person, uh, a family of two, in, in just basic needs. And this, there were oil deals that were, were strong-armed away from Venezuela so that they couldn't have the excess money for their education system and there was rorting going on with the um, buildings of public, uh, public housing uh, that people who'd been rorting after um, Katrina were now involved with rorting in Haiti and uh, double dipping on their contracts 
and one of the cables actually stated the gold rush is on. So for me, uh, this epitomises the sort of secrets that we need to know that we're not getting through our mainstream media. Anyone out here who believes in trying to end world poverty, a good place to start is exposing the causes of it, which is first world corruption. Thanks very much, Christine. And I think that... An interesting indication as well of the breadth of information which is available through WikiLeaks, because a lot of the time we, I suppose, tend to focus on the latest cable and how it affects, you know, Australian diplomatic politics or the like, but it's, a, it's certainly a broad brush, that, that information. Um, that seems like a good moment to open up the discussions about WikiLeaks in general. Um, before we do that, though, we do have, and you guys may have heard about this, we're very uh, happy uh, and honoured that we've got a, a personalised message from... Uh, Kanye West, no, sorry, Julian Assange um, for Splendour in the Grass and I really think it, it, it indicates just exactly uh, I suppose the scale of the enterprise uh, that he's undertaking and we might talk about that a little bit it's a brief message uh, he's got a few things on um, but uh, it has arrived in our hot little hands I believe only this morning. So we'll just take a moment now to see uh, the message from Julian Assange to Splendour in the Grass. When I was 12, my family and I lived in Byron Bay. Some days I would try to climb up to the lighthouse. Earth would overhang the sea cliffs, and sometimes a pebble would shift or a gull would cry, and I would wonder if I was standing on the overhang. Later, I would look back and see that in fact there had been nothing between me and the waters below. At any given moment, I could not see where I was. I could only see where I had been and where I wanted to go. Only with perspective could I understand. We're all like that. We all laugh at the dorky fashions from 10 years ago, but we think we're totally cool now. Well, we are, but in a more important way. We are becoming the agents of perspective. This generation is burning the mass media to the ground. We're reclaiming our rights to world history. We are ripping open secret archives from Washington to Cairo. We're reclaiming our rights to share ourselves and our times with each other, to be the agents and writers of our own history. We don't know yet exactly where we are, but we can see where we are going. The change in perspective that has happened over the last year is what this generation is going to use to find our lighthouse. And when we get there, we'll turn the fucking spotlight on so enjoy splendour in the grass. Find each other. Find every perspective you can. You'll need it in the adventure ahead. So look, I think that's interesting on a number of levels. If nothing else, to me, it indicates, firstly, that Julian Assange is a man who's not afraid of thinking big and broad and makes grand claims for WikiLeaks. Uh, secondly, that there might be a fairly romantic um, I set of ideas behind uh, WikiLeaks. Uh, and thirdly, that wherever he goes, he has good makeup and lighting. No question, Nick. Um, so um, perhaps I could just open this up to the panel now. Um, can you give us your reflections on what we just heard from Julian and also what you think are the core ideas behind WikiLeaks and how powerful or enduring do you think they will be? Sulet? Jump in and yeah, working good. 
Um, I think the core ideas behind WikiLeaks and and uh, and I have known Julian for about 15 years. We worked together writing Underground, and um, I knew him at the time he was thinking about the WikiLeaks idea and developing it. Uh, is really about justice and freedom of speech. And you get justice partially through uncensored information and through freedom of speech. He, I think, has always been very concerned with righting wrongs. And when you see injustice like Haiti, you know, when you see people who are living in the, the greatest poverty in the world and you see the most powerful country in the world trying to drive down you know, minimum wage for these people, that's clearly injustice and it clearly needs to be exposed. I think he's also been very concerned with the lack of independence in our media um, over the last 15 years and where that's taken us today. So he's kind of keen, I think, to figure out, okay, well, what do we do about this? What's the best way, if you're a young person with some skills but not a lot of money, to change the world? And WikiLeaks is what he came up with. And now it's not just WikiLeaks. There are more than 20 other leaking organizations that are about publishing information that large institutions want to keep secret. And that information often exposes wrongdoing. So that's really the principle behind it. Mm. And it's right, though, isn't it, that, that part of the idea is that transparency, um, disclosing the secrets of an organisation and knowing that that is an ever-present risk should encourage better behaviour amongst governments and corporations and should make it possible for the good ones to thrive uh, more easily than the bad ones. Um, So bad behaviour happens because the people aren't watching. And, I mean, Julian had said to me on a number of occasions, really, things like WikiLeaks are about letting the people watch what's going on. And one of the things I think we've seen from Cablegate and from the release of the Afghan and the Iraq war logs is, um, who does our government work for? And it's not just a question that Australians are asking, it's a question that Americans are asking, Brazilians are asking, Haitians are asking. Who does our government work for? Because really, they're supposed to be working for us, for the people, but that's not necessarily who they have been working for. Anyone else? Uh, well, my, my thoughts on Julian's uh, video message was that, I mean, it's, there was a lot of, like you said, romantic ideas and there's a lot of rhetoric that kind of seemed to be voice of the generation type stuff, which kind of is in line with a cult of personality that has risen, you know, if not more so to the forefront than anything that WikiLeaks has actually accomplished <clears throat> and any information that's actually disseminated. But, I mean... I. There were a lot of he talked in a lot of broad strokes, and I think I, I would say what WikiLeaks is is it's really it's 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 like a it's like an inf, it's an information war. I think the, the 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 term first world information war was coined after Julian was accused of um, uh, of sexual misconduct with the two women in Sweden, and the war the 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 soldiers in the war were the the like anonymous nodes, the hackers from all over the world who then you know mined these women's, women's uh, personal lives to, to, you know, get their names and, and, uh, and all of their personal details out. So I think it, what Julian, he seemed to be suggesting is that, you know, there was a lot of call to action in what he was saying and, and, it's, and you know, he's saying, speaking to us, we're all soldiers in this information war and the, the, it's a kind of, it's, it's very much, an, it's like a, a us versus the government um, offer. 
uh, and really, I think the it's so it's an ideological war. It's it's those who want openness and transparency are also the ones in Julian's eyes are are powerless, and the ones who want you know secrets and closed uh, systems are the ones who hold the power, which is the government. We live in an interesting time in terms of. Uh, information and how it travels across. I think in the last five or so years you've seen a big movement towards transparency of information with things like WikiLeaks and Open Secrets and stuff like that, but also third-party companies setting up uh, applications and websites designed to use government data. There's a whole bunch of sites that... um, I think it's Open Society, which will show you what your local members' voting records are, taking information that once upon a time was sitting in files in a library that you couldn't access and making that information public. So some of it's big and dramatic, and we all know Julian has a uh, real panache for big and dramatic, but there's a lot of really basic information that affects all of our lives that are, is more and more becoming transparent and we're finding ways to make use of it. So WikiLeaks, to me, falls in front of a... If it becomes part of a... It's one part of a larger trend of making information more accessible, more meaningful and more transparent. And it's, it's interesting in the sense that it's, like, it's the most dramatic kind of uh, example of it, but I think it, it's only one part of a much bigger story. Well, that's, that's actually what I wanted to, to, to add to this, is you know, we're really talking about WikiLeaks like it's driving this entire movement towards transparency, and it's not. Uh, it's very much a passenger... It's very much a symptom of what's going on uh, now. And the, the way that I like to explain this is that if you think of what was going on in 1999 with Napster, you know, Napster was the first widely distributed piece of software that allowed people to pirate music files over the internet, MP3 files. And the recording industry jumped up and down and said, Napster is going to be the death of the recording industry, we must sue them into oblivion, uh, they're the devil, blah, 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 blah. And they did. They sued them into oblivion within two years and it did absolutely nothing to change the recording industry's fate. The issue wasn't Napster. The issue was that people were starting to get broadband connections in their homes and they didn't want to pay for music. So what we're seeing now is a situation where a 22-year-old kid uh, with all sorts of, it, it seems, all sorts of emotional problems was given unfettered access to a computer network containing all of this information with very few controls on it. Now, I don't know how many of you have actually read it, but a couple of weeks ago, Wired News released the full version of the, uh, the alleged chat between uh, Adrian Lamo, who's the informant who turned in Bradley Manning, and, um, and Bradley Manning. Now, we don't know if the, the logs have been doctored or edited, but if you read them as they've been published, it seems that Bradley Manning made a very uh, conscious political choice to distribute this material and get it out there into the world... And if, if we were in a parallel universe where WikiLeaks didn't exist, I'm quite convinced that that material would have got out anyway. He was determined to do it, and he had the skill to be able to anonymously get that stuff out onto the internet. And I think, to a degree, the State Department and the US military are extremely lucky that that material did wind up with WikiLeaks and didn't wind up in an internet torrent or something, because WikiLeaks actually had the good grace to assist the State Department and the US military in redacting some of the more sensitive information. So, to a degree, Julian Assange is just a really convenient boogeyman. Uh, you know, the US military can say, look, we've got to nail this guy to a tree, but it's very similar to the, the recording industry in 1999 saying, we've got to get at Napster. It's not going to do them any good. I really think this is a technology issue. Uh, I think, to a degree, uh, Mr Assange has put himself in the position to be that lightning rod and to be a spokesperson for this uh, broader... Uh, change, And, and that's I think potentially to... significant in itself, isn't well, it? Well, it is, and I think he's kind of claimed it when, you know, 
I don't necessarily think that that's uh, that. I think he's claiming a little bit more credit than than he's necessarily entitled to. Now I know Sue Let's going <laughs> to try to wring my neck, uh, but yeah, look. In a cage, mate. Let's see. Cage fight with Sulat Dreyfus. <laughs> no, 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 no. I won't try and ring your ring. I don't agree that it's a technology issue. I think this is a power issue. I think that you know, people talk about truth and power and speaking truth to power. Um, I think that truth is power. And this is really an information and a power issue about who has the truth. Do the people get the truth? If the people get the truth, then they get the power. And that's what this is. And the reason why... Julian is important, aside from starting WikiLeaks, is, yes, he's a lightning rod, and yes, you know, the powers that be want to present him as the bogeyman, but in a sense, he is a kind of elder statesman of this politicized youth internet movement. Um, You know, he's the guy who's sitting there, yeah, he's in England in a mansion, but he's got his legs shackled, and he has to report in every day to the police station, and, you know, who knows if these charges are real or not. So I think that that's not not quite a fair... Um, uh, statement to make. I guess the other thing I'd say is that we're talking a lot about making information public from governments and and corporations of wrongdoing um, that are things that they've done. I think there's another side to this, which is government collecting information about you and what's it doing with that information, how much information is allowed to collect. Because really, um, I think one of the things that, that Julian advocates and I agree with is that people are, are entitled to a higher level of privacy than governments. Governments have to be transparent. People are allowed to be private. And right now, governments, including our government, is collecting information about who you call on your cell phone, how long you talk for, your banking, you know, it's your, your iris scans, your fingerprints, all of this information. Well, why is it doing this? Why is it retaining all this data, your IP addresses, and how long is it retaining for? Why does it need this? Why is it spying on the people? These are really important questions. And I think that WikiLeaks has also raised the flip side of that coin, which is what information is government keeping about us and why and how long for? There's, there's a lot to go into there. There's a technological side of things. Um, it's certainly the case that the whole kind of Julian Assange thinks that all information, including individuals' personal, private information, should be free. It's just, just bollocks. There have been clear distinctions drawn there. But uh, I'd like to open up that technological point. But before I do, I'd like to ask Grace about uh, the government side of things and your perspective, because I know not just acting for Julian Assange, but you've worked on cases that might be that, that relate to this area. What information can government keep about ordinary users, mobile phones and the like? Uh, what criteria apply for tracking that sort of stuff? Uh, and how, you know, are there, are there real causes for concern? Do we need legislative change? And what's your favourite colour? Absolutely, we need legislative change, and my favourite colour is red. Um, Excellent. Don't read anything into that necessarily. <laughs> um, I, I will um, address that question um, by just giving you a bit of background. Um, my primary area of um, expertise has been in terrorism offences, um, not committing them, defending people who are alleged to have committed them. Um, and um, one of the things that has been most apparent in my experience with the Jack Thomas trial, you might remember G had Jack, um, as does no doubt Julian, um, and uh, the Ben Breaker 12, who are a group of young men in Melbourne who were arrested and charged with serious 
uh, terrorism offences, held on remand for three years, and then ultimately a number of them were acquitted, is that we have a situation where the government assumes that the onus to prove that information should not be accessible to them is on us. And the reality of that situation means that the powerless are forced to um, litigate situations where they don't have the funds, they don't have the, um, the resources nor the expertise to uh, justify each time their information is accessed um, in, in their eyes um, in unjustly um, to, to right that wrong. And I guess my, my ultimate uh, view is that there should be an onus on government to justify why they get our information not known as on us to justify why they shouldn't. So, so what's the state of play at the moment? Because um, my understanding, at least, is that there was a big controversy in America over whether the executive arm could uh, tap phones and, and, internet, and the internet without a warrant. And certainly, you know, the Bush White House uh, did that a lot, and I think it's been continued under the Obama um, uh, administration. Does that, do you think that happens in Australia or, or isn't there an onus on government authorities to at least go to a, a, a judge or a magistrate and make out some sort of case before they can do things like monitor that sort of information? Well, across all jurisdictions, the general principle is that um, governments don't get access to um, personal information unless they can demonstrate that there is a real and genuine reason why they should um, in terms of the legal situation. The problem is that those tests are not strictly applied. Those tests are very low in terms of the sort of standard of proof that the prosecution have to demonstrate. And they take place in a situation where there's no contradictor. There's no defence person there explaining why there might be an interest in not having that material um, accessed by the state. So it's um, kind of like an, an internal ASIO sign-off on the process that means that it doesn't go to a third party like a magistrate. Uh, there are internal processes um, and they vary from offence to offence or the, the various um, kind of functions that ASIO perform. ASIO do perform some form of role within um, the criminal justice system as intelligence gatherers. Um, it is said that the intelligence that they gather cannot be used in prosecutions, but of course um, these things have dual use and there's no derivative use immunity in terms of that uh, information. But if I might just go off topic just slightly, I just, I just wanted to address that, that question of the cult of personality and um, Julian's romantic ideas. Um, I would say that those romantic ideas have been vindicated completely because they have been shown to have an absolutely pragmatic application. Um, the application of those ideas has been um, at least substantially responsible for um, the movement towards democracy um, and social change in various Arab states. Um, and I think it's, it's probably quite reasonable to say that um, were Julian and those around him, and I note in his address he uses the word we, and I think he uses that because he knows that he can put whatever he likes up on WikiLeaks, but it's reliant upon the average punter in... Egypt to tweet it and then their friends retweet it and then suddenly you have a situation where people um, who were previously quite powerless are able to make some determinations about the world they live in and whether or not they're okay with that. 
I would also say that Julian's a very good-looking boogeyman. And it'll, and it'll make a fantastic movie. Yeah, and yeah. several films. Yeah. Tilda Swinton will well, play Julian the same. A, who do you hope will play you in the movie? And, and B, your, your, your thoughts on both, you know, the claims of a cult of personality... Uh, do you get parental benefits in that cult? Uh, and, and also, I suppose, the, the, the question about government transparency in particular, because I know this is something that you and Julian uh, became quite concerned about early in his life. Um, first of all, I just want to pick up on what the others were saying about um, is it technology, is it a desire for free speech? Um, I had a conversation with Julian before this all started and we talked about the world often and I said is it ever going to change can you see anything changing about the way that the powerful people are getting more money and more power and wreaking havoc on the others and he said there was only two ways that he could see it ever changing and it would have to come from the outside either there would be a, a huge calamity in the world um, being hit by media or something that would bring people to their senses or some huge technological change that would shift everything. And WikiLeaks uh, was the technological change that he came up with. But I think also it's true to say that what Patrick was saying, that we're, and this is just my humble opinion, I'm not, not particularly well informed, um, I'm not an expert, just an ordinary human being looking at the way things are, is that we're at a state in the world at the moment with the, with the convergence of technology and uh, a broader education, it's a, a combination of a brave new world, um, 1984 and Fahrenheit 451, with the internet, with WikiLeaks, and with a generation of people I don't think are going to put up with it anymore. Um, so I think it's one of those revolutionary states of affairs where everything is coming together to enable some sort of change if the people will come with it. Um, now, the other thing was, oh, yes, the cult of the personality. Um, Julian, by nature, is actually quite shy and retiring. He didn't want to come out. He wanted to stay in the background, but in its attempts to shut WikiLeaks down and discredit WikiLeaks, smears were being put out and he had to come out to um, quash those smears when I was in London, I said, look, is there anybody else that could stand up as well for you? And he said, well, unless they want their whole background brought up and smeared all over the world, no. And I don't want that for the people that work with me. I met the people in the team with WikiLeaks. They're good people. He's not alone. He's merely a figurehead. And he's doing that to save the rest of the team. Um, anonymous. I think anonymous, it's not, it's not associated with WikiLeaks, but it's part of a grassroots rebellion from people who have had their mainstream media repressed, now they're attempting to repress their internet media, and the young people, as young people have always done, are standing up and rebelling, which is what they should do. Um, as to who um, plays me... Uh, Someone good-looking would be nice. <laughs> we'll take votes on that later on. Um, look, at, I mean, the nature of this subject matter is that you know, every half comment that gets passed from this panel has a half an hour discussion in it. Um, we have limited time. 
uh, Christine's mentioned anonymous, I, I, I'd like to use that as an opportunity to broaden things out purely from WikiLeaks and, uh, and ask about uh, the changes in hacking culture since we know, I mean, Julian was involved in the hacking, uh, the, I suppose, kind of agenda-setting hacking in Australia uh, when he was younger. How has hacking culture changed and how are governments getting into it? I'd like to move to uh, Sulet and then Patrick. Um, I think that hacking's changed a lot in the last uh, 15 or 20 years. One of the things that has happened is it's become very segmented. So you have your, you know, Russian mafia hackers or bank robbers who would otherwise rob a bank with a shotgun. And they're not really hackers in the old sense of the word, but they are hacking to achieve whatever they want to do in a criminal sense. Far more interesting is the rise of the hacktivist. And these are people who have uh, a message that they want to get out to the world. And they're basically engaged in an act of civil disobedience. Um, you know, some people have compared DDoS attacks to a sit-in. Um, where you're protesting behavior of a company, whether it's paying people poor wages or, or other things like that. I think what's really interesting about this um, hacktivist community that has arisen, and Anonymous would certainly be um, part of that community, is that like this generation of kind of under 25s, they're not joiners. It's not an organized entity. It's amorphous and kind of amoeba-like. But people are following a higher ideal. And that higher ideal that seems to unify all these diverse people and their different views is this freedom of speech and freedom from censorship. You know, people who've grown up with the internet from when they were in primary school have kind of been used to this freedom. And now all of a sudden, governments are trying to take it away from them. And more than that, not only are they trying to take it away, not only for example, have the three largest telecommunication providers in Australia voluntarily agreed to filtering, otherwise known as censorship, in the information that's provided here. So if you have an iPad or a smartphone, um, basically any of the carriers you use are now filtering information. You may not know that um, uh, as of a, a week or two ago. But um, I think what's really interesting about this this group is they're saying, hey, we're not going to put up with this. We're going to jack up. We're going to speak up. And while I wouldn't encourage people to go out and break the law, I would encourage you to speak up. There are things you can do. You know, one letter to a politician is worth about 10 phone calls. And it does make a difference, and they do read that stuff. So it is worth doing and being, you know, active online. The other thing that I think is really important to point out is that the militaries of the large governments have run out of bogeymen. They can't fight the cyber operations of, you know, they can't prosecute the Iranian secret services cyber operations. So instead what they've decided to do is chase a bunch of teenagers who Twitter online, whether it's in the US or here, because they're easy targets, they're soft targets. And these have turned into the biggest threats of the Pentagon, you know, these teenagers who Twitter or engage in some civil disobedience. And I think that's a tragedy. Patrick? Yeah, just before I move on to that, I just wanted to address one thing. I think anyone listening to Sulet's description of government surveillance earlier would be probably going home quite petrified and tempted to put their mobile phone in a blender and never connect to the internet again. For anyone who's interested, there are actually... I, I agree with Grace that the uh, anti-terror legislation in Australia is pretty disgraceful, but when it comes to what the government can and can't do to surveil you, it's not nearly that frightening. Uh, usually, and, 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 and as Grace said, people do need to go to the courts. The tests aren't always applied as well as they should, uh, but, you know, there are warrants issued for that sort of thing, and it's not, a, not the case where the Australian Federal Police or ASIO can just go and tap your phone because they feel like it, uh, or, you know, monitor your in online communications. 
It's, it's, it's yeah, that, that's just the news of the world that does that, yeah. Exactly, and I'm much more concerned. I'm much more concerned by the actions of companies like News Limited and their illegal activities than I am by a bunch of kids who are, who are trying to uh, uh, stage, as you said, virtual sit-ins. In fact, we saw 14 arrests in the United States just recently, which were for these people. They download a bit of software if they wish to participate in a DDoS attack, which is what Sulet mentioned, and that's, called, that's what's called a distributed denial-of-service attack. And that means I download a bit of software onto my computer, I point it at a website, and it starts hammering that website uh, with traffic. Now, if enough people do that, uh, it will take that website offline. So some people would say it's similar to standing outside the Nike store in the Melbourne CBD and stopping people for entering, from entering to protest their treatment of their Indonesian workforce or something like that. Unfortunately for them, the law sees it differently uh, and interfering with online commerce and yada, yada, yada is actually a crime. The FBI has actually started rounding these guys up. They never really used to bother uh, going after Loic users, low-orbit low ion cannon or whatever is the software, they're going after them now because they want to discourage that sort of stuff. So I think we'll see less volunteer-led um, DDoS attacks. Uh, but one thing I wanted to say about Anonymous is I'm so sick of hearing Anonymous described as being a group or a loose-knit collective or, you know, the, the only way that I can find to describe it where people universally get it is, is it's like, think of 17th century pirates, okay? They weren't a group. They all had the same flag, but they weren't a group. There were groups of pirates. They sailed around on ships saying ho-ho and a bottle of rum. And there were pirate hangouts, like pirate bars and taverns. That's like 4chan, you know, there's all these image boards where these guys actually coordinate things. You've got IRC channels. And, you know, you've got stuff like uh, Anon Ops, Anon IRC. These are Twitter feeds that, you know, these are, in this analogy there, the pirate ships. But Anonymous isn't a group. And you see the craziest shit happening in the media. Just the other day, someone posted something on a on a text-sharing website called Pastebin, saying, oh, we need to attack far-right organisations in Norway in protest of this, you know, turbo douche who went around mowing people down. And, you know, he was just some random idiot, but because he signed it off with, we are legion, we are anonymous, we are all, you know, some journalist, you know, just was searching for anonymous through Pastebin, and it wound up being written up by a division of CBS Media in the United States, CNETnews.com, wrote it up as anonymous calls for these attacks. So it's, it's a really poorly understood uh, phenomenon. Anonymous is a designation. It's not a group. It's, it's like saying, I'm doing this and I'm choosing not to identify myself. Uh, and in fact, we're actually, I'm trying to get some, uh, some listeners, we're going to write a browser plug-in where if you go to certain news websites, it actually substitutes the word anonymous for someone. So instead of saying someone proposes attack against US government, or, uh, instead of saying anonymous proposes an attack against the government, it's just going to say someone yeah. has proposed this, because that's really a much more accurate uh, description. Well, look, if we've learnt nothing else out of today, firstly, it's the term turbo douche. Thank you for that. Uh, and secondly, it's that um, pirate ships in the Middle Ages were the Middle Ages version of Twitter. That's... Uh, very interesting. Hey, it holds. It holds. Yeah, I've sure thought about sure this one, okay? And, yeah. you know, I guess the way that it's changed, I mean, Sulet, I've known Sulet for, for, for quite a long time. I'm originally from Melbourne, and, you know, she was um, around back when things were really interesting. It was a much smaller scene. But, you know, I've watched, I've watched computer hacking going from being a hobby to being a multi-billion dollar industry, which I now work in, in, in the media side of it. And now, uh, well, mate, there's people making crazy money, and I, I also do a little bit of recruitment. I'm currently advertising a job in Sydney that pays $140,000 a year 
five weeks annual leave, work from home, work from the office, do whatever the hell you want, and I'm getting no applications. I mean, that's, and that's for someone with maybe two or three years' experience. There's a massive uh, gold rush going on right now in the information security industry because everyone's done such a bad job of it. So finding people who can actually make improvements is just terribly difficult. And now, of course, it's becoming a military industry. Companies like BAE Systems, BAE, British Aerospace, a weapons manufacturer, acquired Australia's largest information security consultancy. I think that was last year. Um, they're working on all sorts of diabolical stuff, and they're hiring all of the best talent. So there's a massive talent vacuum going on. It's just, it has really changed in the last 10 years, and the pace of it has been mind-blowing. So that, and then we'll perhaps pass the mic. A so. quick response. Um, yes, you should be paranoid about your privacy. I'll give you a yeah, yeah. I'll give you a good example of that. Um, There's a very guilty person in the fifth row yeah, there. Yeah, Obviously, good, something yeah, to hide. Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm with you. Um, I'm joking. In uh, in the US, basically, the National Security Agency, without a warrant, drift net fishes every telephone call, fax, um, you know, internet. Uh, and it scoops it all up and sends it through an automated uh, analysis and spits out the ones that it thinks might be suspicious and then has human intelligence or other methods of, of processing that. Now, that's all done without a warrant. And their argument is, well, their first argument is always, if you're not doing anything wrong, then why do you mind if we're spying on you? And it's quite interesting because really that's the question that WikiLeaks puts to government. Um, but I think that uh, the bigger issue is, you know, that, that kind of stuff goes, goes on in there. And there have been a number of court cases from organizations that are about um, protection of personal privacy that have not been successful in stopping that. So we should be paranoid about our, our personal privacy. But the other more alarming thing that Patrick has alluded to is the growth in this industry of governments paying private contractors to do things like um, create Twitter trolls, these Create, create people who go out as spies in our society and not only spy on us on Twitter and, and other um, online communities, IRC and stuff, but they're also fake people. They, they are purposely there to spread false information. And, you know, one of the big uh, hacks from Anonymous, the H.B. Uh, Gary, revealed that basically there are private, semi-accountable companies being paid millions of dollars by governments to do this. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like it's something out of 1984 to me. Mark, I'd like to ask you about that because there's, there's an interesting kind of counterpoint there. On the one hand, uh, many people prize their anonymity on the internet. Uh, people rise to prominence as political bloggers like Grog's Gamut claiming that they have a right to anonymity. Then we find out that uh, maybe you know, the hardheads at the Pentagon and the like are using fake accounts as well. Um, should there be that sort of level of privacy or, or is it fair enough that you should have to disclose who you are when you're on the web? Uh, I think it's unreasonable to expect any kind of anonymity online. I just think in this day and age there is, there's two very clear schools of thought. There's uh, obviously the, the kind of the Mark Zuckerberg thought that is the internet becomes better if uh, you put your name to everything and that's his school of thought. And then of course there's the anonymous 4chan kind of world where you know, it's, it's something to be defended. Personally, I think uh, the moment you put something online, any kind of information, it is published. Whether you think it's secret or not, it's published. So somebody somewhere, whether it's uh, somebody working for HP Gary uh, or it's a, uh, it's a fake troll account created by the Department of Defence or one of those things, you have to assume that somewhere along the line it's going to be found. So I think the, the expectation of an anonymity, really, if you, you know, if, if, 
just don't expect it because I don't think you're going to get it anymore. Whether it's right or wrong is almost irrelevant. It's the fact that it just doesn't exist anymore. And well, but certainly, I mean, there's different levels of it. As a personal user, I think it's probably prudent to assume that things won't be private if you publish them. There's then the question of, well, what sort of legislation should apply? Uh, what should intelligence organisations sh- should be able to do? And then what should private companies and, and the like be able to do? Um, but, yeah, my password's 5472. Uh. Also, just going back to the cult of personality thing, um, can we all agree uh, Julian Assange does look like a Bond villain, right? Every, you expect him to cut wide and he's stroking a white cat, and I say this with the greatest respect. Uh, by the way, he should be played by Tilda Swinton. That's who should play him in the movie. <laughs> she could also do... There you go, two roles in one. Christine? Um, okay... The online secrets, well, there's some online secrets that are positive for Julian that they would like suppressed in the mainstream media and doing their best to suppress it online as well. Um, the US has come out condemning how terrible uh, the WikiLeaks disclosures are endangering lives and, and all the rest of it and justice and, and, and uh, democracy. But I'm just wondering how many people know about the award. Uh, Julian's won many, many awards but there's one particular award that almost everybody I know doesn't know about. I'm just wondering how many people in the audience know about the Sam Adams Award. Could you put your hand up? Okay, they've done their job well. The Sam Adams Award for 2010 went to Julian. It's, it's uh, an award given by a group of retired senior military and intelligence personnel in America. And they gave him the award for the collateral video uh, for integrity and intelligence. Later on, five ex-award winners went on to write to the President of the United States saying that Julian should not be uh, part of a witch hunt. But hardly anyone knows about that award, but everybody knows about the Swedish case. So that's the sort of control they've got. what else I got here? Um, yes, uh, HB Gary. Um, as I was going down rabbit holes on the internet, I don't have a computer, I just have a mobile phone, so I'm like this. And it doesn't do a very good job, but I still got to it. And I found the WikiLeaks threat. Hands up who knows about the WikiLeaks threat. And I think we've got it um, I think this will be on the PowerPoint as well. Okay. Now, just before we go to that, oh, you ready for it now, eh? Okay. Um, Julian asked me to um, expand upon what Julian, my, my Julian and a, a couple of others did in Victoria uh, some 20 years ago and whether this was something that um, inspired Julian to do what he was doing with WikiLeaks. Um, if anybody knows what it's like going through family court or any of the other associated agencies, legal aid, child protection, etc., they will know that these uh, departments don't operate very well. Um, the Victorian one still isn't operating well in child protection. We had a belief that my grandson, at the time, um, his welfare wasn't being uh, looked after well. We were supported by police and professionals. Um, when we did FOIs on the files, uh, we found little notes like um, 
oh, the case has become political, quick, quick, move it to another jurisdiction where we can't be reported on. Or we would subpoena documents and little file notes left in, quick, remove in case of a subpoena. This went on for seven years. Now, contrary to what many people believe, Julian actually had sole custody of his son for five years, based upon what we were able to find digging around in files that were supposed to be not, uh, we weren't supposed to see, um, which supported our position. We then went on to look after 600 other people whose children were being left at risk or who were wrongly accused of child abuse and lawyers then began to refer cases to us and we then gave evidence to two major inquiries, government inquiries in camera and then people within those departments were encouraged by us to, uh, for us to act as a conduit for them to present evidence in secret. So that's the background. That combined, I think, with the fact that when he was a, a teenage intellectual hacker, he got a good look inside files and probably saw a lot of stuff that worried him as it worried Bradley Manning. So I think some of these things uh, are just a progression of seeing yeah. injustice. And it's certainly the case that um, uh, what's regarded by some as a, a pretty significant essay on Julian Assange's intellectual development, I think it's called uh, A Cypherpunk Revolutionary by Robert Mann. Uh, has anyone read that? No, I, I, I haven't, obviously, but I hear it's great. A um, uh, little bit of light yeah, reading. That's right. It's, it's certainly um, one of the claims in that essay is that that uh, involvement with child protection was significant in terms of uh, Julian Assange's intellectual development and his views about uh, the power of government and the power of leaking. Um, I think we'll just briefly show a couple of uh, screens from this presentation. It's called The WikiLeaks Threat, Overview by Palantir Technologies, H.B. Gary. And essentially, I suppose what it shows is uh, the corporate and commercialised response to WikiLeaks and the way that security organisations now are making, I assume, quite a fair bit of money by advising both governments and corporations how to respond to WikiLeaks. And it's a really interesting slide. It's listed on the... Uh, uh, the, the, the slide displays on the WikiLeaks website. Uh, and we've got just one of them here, which I, I found most interesting, which is potential proactive tactics in response to WikiLeaks. Feud, the fuel between the feuding groups, tick. Um, create concern over the security of infrastructure, tick. Cyber attacks against the infrastructure to get documents on submitters. Now, this is reverse. This is not... Uh, DDoS attacks. This is hack WikiLeaks. Expose the leakers. Expose the leakers to try and act as a deterrent. Uh, media campaign to push the radical and reckless nature of WikiLeaks uh, or its activities. That would never happen. S search for leaks. Use social media to profile and identify risky behaviour of employees. That's another interesting area as well. The idea of uh, surveillance in the workplace to try and identify people who might potentially uh, be leakers. And that I think loops right back to what I was talking about at the beginning of this session of well, how, how powerful is the idea that a leaker who exposes conduct can actually um, either bring down an organisation or make it uh, behave better. Uh, can I open it up to anyone to comment on uh, this presentation? And then uh, once we've worked through the panel, we'll open it up to the floor for questions for any of the people here. Look, there's, uh, just very quickly, there's no question that Julian Assange personally and WikiLeaks as an organisation uh, has 
uh, has been the subject of a witch hunt, and it's obviously very dangerous to people. Whether it's still the best vehicle for getting leaks out uh-huh. is, is, is open for debate, and, I, and I'm not necessarily saying it isn't, uh, and I believe in their right to do it, but whether it's the smartest way of getting out uh, leaks about uh, governments, military and organisations, I think there is a question to be answered possibly by Patrick. This document was not leaked by on WikiLeaks. It wasn't. This document was obtained by attackers under the name of Anonymous and it was posted onto its own website. An Insta-WikiLeaks is what Kevin Poulsen would refer to it as. So here is Exhibit A in the case of leaks are happening outside of WikiLeaks. We've also seen a whole bunch of stuff stolen from Booz Allen Hamilton, the US defence contractor that was published online recently. WikiLeaks is, is not currently a conduit for this sort of material and it's still getting out there. But um, it's a hell of a lightning rod though, isn't it? I mean, it, it seems to me that WikiLeaks well, it, has it's kind a... of got the, the global brand prestige of leaking. Now, uh, and, and whether that means you leak to WikiLeaks or to the New York Times yeah. or anywhere else, it's a brand. arguably doesn't matter. It's a brand that resonates with a very common set of political philosophies shared by people who identify themselves as anons. There's one thing I want to say though, Christine, about that Sam Adams award. Now, you asked if anyone here had heard if Julian Assange had been awarded this Sam Adams Award. Can anyone name a single winner of that award? Okay, so I think it's less likely that it's a mass media conspiracy to suppress this information and more likely that it's just not an award that the press generally reports on. I mean, can anyone name a single winner of that award? Sam Adams, Adams, yeah. (laughs) Sure. And that was a fix. Look, 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 I would agree with you that, generally speaking, people wouldn't. But given the fact that um, Julian is in the spotlight and the fact that he is being attacked and he's being called anti-American and the fact that I notified all media outlets here in Australia of the award and one journo got back and said, oh, I'd love to print it, but higher up says no. I'd say that's probably an editorial news judgment. And I would also say, had it have been the Nobel Prize, it would have been reported. Okay? I just don't see this as being a, a media conspiracy. Can I jump I do not see that it would be a high... Okay, Sulet. Off. Uh, how many of you have seen wrongdoing in an organisation you worked in or some other part you were a group of? I work for the ABC, yeah. <laughs> And this is what okay. WikiLeaks no, is no, for. No, no, no. How, okay, so pretty fair. How many of you have been afraid to speak up about that wrongdoing because you thought something bad might happen to you, repercussions or whatever? Yeah, so probably at least 50% of people more even who put their hand up in the, in the first case. I think one of the really good things that WikiLeaks has done, it, it has made the world safer for whistleblowers. And we've seen with the last decade with corporate corruption and financial fiascos and, um, you know, Enron, how important whistleblowers are. I do research in the area of whistleblowing, and I've interviewed a number of whistleblowers and people who are engaged with whistleblowers. And it's come a long way in the last decade. WikiLeaks and the other leaking organizations um, have helped to make it safer to whistleblow because well, could, it's... Yeah, because I was interested I to agree. that. So, so that, has WikiLeaks made it safer to, to leak or easier... Both. Or at least, yeah, right. Okay, so it's so genuinely the, so it's both? Done, it's done two things that's important, and that, or three things really that are important. But the first of those is it's added an, an anonymous layer of protection through technology um, to the leaking 
uh, arena, and and other which is pretty robust, real pretty robust, and um, and and other leaking organisations have or are also doing that. But the the initial model for doing it came out of WikiLeaks, and that's really powerful use of the technology because if a whistleblower can be anonymous, they're going to be much less worried about the kind of retribution that you guys who raised your hand were worried about. So that's that's really one of the most important things. The other important thing that it has done is it's allowed large-scale leaking of data. And that's really important because sometimes you don't get a clear picture about something until you got a large amount of data. So you might not know if, you know, the war, the war in kind of Serbia and, um, and in that area of the world, wow, is that really a concerted effort by a bunch of paramilitary groups to conduct a genocide or are they just really defending themselves against NATO troops? Well, all of a sudden, if you've got large-scale data, you can do the kind of analysis that shows you, actually, yeah, this was a genocide. Um, so that's really important as well. And doing it online makes it easy to to do it and I think also gives people a little bit of a sense of detachment from doing it because it's the keyboard and them late at night in a darkened room and all the rest of it um, and so perhaps makes people a bit braver um, about doing it in the comfort of their own home um, but I think one of the, the main thing to take away from this is that uh, society is better off for those people out there who see wrongdoing and who reveal it. And it's, it's an immensely powerful thing, immensely powerful force for good. And WikiLeaks and other uh, online week- leaking organizations make it less costly for those people to do the right thing. And that, that is really an important change in our society. Uh, but I'd like to ask a question, and please excuse my ignorance if you, the answer is obvious, but, I mean, WikiLeaks, is, there's something like 10 or 50,000 cables that have been released thus far, the 250-odd thousand that they obtained. And what, uh, what's, that, what's changed? Like, I don't think I've seen any... Uh, I, I've had the displeasure. You're talking about loads of data. I've had the displeasure of reading for days on end the WikiLeaks cables. And, mo- motherfucker, they're fucking boring. There's, like, so much crap in there. Nick. One of them... One of them... One of them... There. Yeah, the French ambassador knew here. Oh, the guy from Peru is getting a bit chubby. I had rubbery fish to eat with the fucking... Um, you know, they're really fucking boring. Nick, that's and, like saying, what's the tangible benefit of the news? And, like, yeah. you are better off hold than on. knowing. No, no, no. But hold, but hold on. But, like... Okay, these, these are... You, these are principally cables about the US. The Secretary of Defense, Robert Gates, said when they were released, hey, look, you know, there's really nothing to worry about. There was a big furor, but the Secretary of Defense said, look, people don't deal with the US because they like us or because they know we can keep secrets. They do it because it's within their interests. And they weren't... It didn't... What... what how, has, it, has it affected any change in the US government? I mean... I, no, I, it hasn't. No, well, <laughs> hang on, hang on, hang on. Uh, yeah, I reckon it's affected... I reckon it's it's created change because we're up here today and you guys are sitting here and you're asking these questions and you're thinking about it. It's affected change and it's made people say, hey, is this how I really want my government to behave? Do I really want my Secretary of State instructing her entire bunch of diplomats to go steal DNA from the Secretary General of the United Nations? <laughs> Am I yeah, paying so, yeah. taxes oh, and the, for the that? Kuwait one. You know, is that a the, good idea? Maybe not. Did you read the Iraq-Kuwait one too before Gulf War One? I? I mean, that's really instructive reading. I mean, this stuff, it's really... It is really valuable stuff to have in the public domain and it's very valuable uh, as, as for, for writing our f- future history, you know? 
And there's some real smoking guns in there. It's not just... But I agree, like, dumping the whole lot, it's like, it's a total snooze fest. But there's some gems in there, and I'm sure there's more to come. Yeah. Uh, all right, well, we're going to open it up to the audience now. Um, some people who need the aid of a microphone and others who don't. Um, <laughs> and we'll start with Mr. Don't Need the Microphone, but have it anyway. Thank you. My name is Carlos, and um, I used to um, be in the Australian military. As an immigrant, it's quite an interesting experience experience being um, two, three different interviews from ASIO just to be able to join. But um, my question is very specific. It's about Australian politics and the ILP specifically because it's quite well known that there are currently serving Australian politicians that are there with a lot of support from the USA, including Mr. Abib, a couple of other ministers, the former speechwriter for um, Prime Minister Gillard, yep. and um, what a lot of ALP fans forget is that Bob Hawke, when he was the head of the... Bob um, Hope or Bob Hawke? Bob Hawke. Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah. If it, ACT, you, you to head. To the question if you can, please. Washington used to refer to him as our man in Canberra. Yeah. Way before he be, became a prime minister, and he's still currently a hero for a lot of lefties. I want to ask you, who else might be in there, and what does it actually mean for Australian citizens? Thank so, you. So this is about the... And it's certainly the case that the WikiLeaks cables have disclosed the fairly um, regular cocktail circuit of senior ALP figures, including Senator Mark Arbeeb. Uh, how much does that matter? Is that surprising? Is that in the Nick category? Of oh, I look, I, I work for the ABC, and I'm, I'm, an, I'm, an, I'm an American mole as well. You can yeah. tell from my... <laughs> I am. I'm not kidding. Yeah. They pay incredibly well, yeah. Better than your um, information security... Hook me up. Um, uh, maybe I, mean, I can links respond of, to that. Yep, Grace. Um, in terms of the, the links between Australian politicians and the American government, um, I think the thing that WikiLeaks has done and other um, leaking uh, facilities um, is to highlight the fact that um, these things happen and they happen behind closed doors. Now, I don't think that's going to change, but the point is that when you know you're being watched, you're a little bit more careful. And that's the response to the question, has WikiLeaks really changed anything? Well, we see it um, in terms of the behaviour of our own government and, in particular, Western governments um, immediately. Probably not. But it's a process of um, creating a moral compass um, where people don't feel as if they can get away with um, things that they perhaps previously could because there wasn't this... Surveillance going both ways. Excellent. Okay. Any other questions? And that, that, that's certainly the core idea of WikiLeaks, it seems to me. I don't think they'll be writing anything down in a diplomatic cable tagged secret that they wouldn't put on a postcard yeah. at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, madam? When you hear a barely audible click in your like, landline, and you know what that means, then you know, hi, there's somebody else listening, and you have that secondary conversation because you know and you're well-informed. But most other people don't know that. And it really doesn't take, like, a great deal of effort to get that level of extra surveillance. You're quite wrong about that. You know, that level That's of... technically very easy. It's extremely easy. And you won't hear a click. Not anymore. Yeah, well, Not since I'm going to ask that because, no, yeah, I know lots I'm of people who say... If you're hearing thing. a click, it means like, you need to leave Telstra mostly. The click. No, 
actually specified landline. When you're talking on your digital technology, there is no click. You don't yeah. get a warning. You need to presuppose that nothing is secure. You need to just presuppose that everything is open. So when you hear breathing too, that's... <laughs> thing is that you're making light of something that's quite serious, that WikiLeaks preempted everything else. Yes, there's everything else. You're talking about branding. But what Julian Assange did was he preempted everything else. He's not claiming something brand. He's not being grandiose. And none has come in and provided another mechanism, and a lot of others have provided another mechanism. I don't think he's being grandiose or anything else. But he provided something where there wasn't anything else. It's great that other mechanisms have come in. But I agree with you. Do, do you have a question, Manny? Secure with WikiLeaks. Sorry. So people felt secure with WikiLeaks. Yeah, and, and I think, agree that that's are, a good thing. If yeah. if you believe in that sort of mechanism existing, then that's a great thing. And they certainly did refine and develop and help a concept to evolve. And as Sulette said, I mean, I know people who've submitted stuff to WikiLeaks, just little things, little documents that were maybe accidentally mailed to them that the newspapers got a hold of. They were forced to remove them, like a couple of Telstra documents. And they went, well, I've got the document, bugger you, I'm going to put it on WikiLeaks. It's an excellent resource. So I'm not making any comment on the the moral virtues of WikiLeaks or not, I'm just saying that it's a small part of a much bigger thing. And you would, I mean, I would have thought as well that if the idea is to encourage leaking, a kind of uh, an ever-growing network, decentralised network of places where you can leak is far more robust. BitTorrent. Yeah, than, than one place which the bad guys need to monitor. Oh, yeah, I mean, um, I completely agree. Even though I, I, I said the cables are boring, that's because, unfortunately, I had to read them for, for work. But I, I actually agree with you as well. I think WikiLeaks, for better or worse, is here to stay. And I, personally, I think it's, it's a really good resource. And more broadly than that, I think it, it points to the fact that the internet itself isn't a, such a nihilistic place. There's a lot of different ideologies and a lot of optimism out there. And really, it's, it, that makes me feel, feel good. <laughs> Which goes, I think, to Silette's point as well about the, the sheer scale of the data and, and you know, being able to analyse that creates a whole new level of analysis. Yeah. I think one of the other things that's really important is we've, um, we've seen a really interesting thing I'm, I'm actually doing some research on, which is what I call um, crowdsourcing declassification of documents, um, where once governments were the only repository of these secret governments and they were the guys who decided whether or not you and I got to see them now or 30 years from now or never, effectively what you've seen with this model um, that WikiLeaks has, has, I guess you could say, tried um, uh, with Cablegate um, is you know, the, the distribution of these cables to various media organizations around the world and the media organizations effectively doing the, the declassification or the redaction on it. And that's quite interesting because it puts in, a, in the hands of a set of people who are, you know, don't have security clearances or kind of members of the public journalists the, and who have an onus on trying to put information in the public rather than trying to hide it. Hey, how much is safe to put out there? How much isn't? You know, we'll, we'll, deci- we'll decide that on the basis of the public interest to try and publish rather than try and hide. And, uh, and it raises some interesting ideas for the future about... You know, is government going to have a monopoly on declassifying information or should there be some independent arm's length way of doing that independently that's got the best interest of the people's desire for transparency at heart rather than the desire to hide information at heart? And technology is certainly outstripping law and regulation in this area. I mean, in the UK, we saw courts, and I might ask Grace to talk about this, if, 
if you feel comfortable doing so, courts issuing super injunctions, preventing people talking about the issuing of an injunction that then get overridden by speeches in Parliament and Twitter. I um, have had quite a lengthy experience with suppression orders through um, various gangland trials as well as terrorism-related matters. I knew you were an assassin. I totally knew it. <laughs> That's me. Um, yes. Uh, I can say this. Um, I've successfully sought and obtained many suppression orders. I think they've all been breached. Um, I will probably continue to apply for suppression orders in situations where that's appropriate in order to protect my client's right to a fair trial, which I think is paramount when you are facing serious criminal offences, particularly when those offences are of a somewhat political nature. Um, and, you know, we need to be re realistic about the fact that juries do come to a trial after substantial media attention, um, which is often from media sources who report with a certain agenda. I think we all know who I'm talking about. Um, anyway, um, but look, I mean, I think we're in a situation where we're in this transition, transitional period where not just information security um, in terms of um, what governments want to hold on to, but also, you know, hard-working artists who can't sell a CD. That's, that's a consideration for... Um, Are they hard-working artists? I should have um, paused more for, for a more lengthy period in that sentence. Um, no, I mean, for example, the music industry is a great example of how people who are actually putting a product out there and putting a lot of themselves into something are currently in a situation where it's quite difficult to make an income off something that was previ previously... Well, you could make kind of an income off it, um, depending on how famous you were. But... Um, Look, I mean, I think it's one of those things that will probably um, be the subject of some fairly major policy making in the coming decades, um, because at the moment we have a whole lot of um, legal procedures and causes of action that really don't apply beyond the 1980s. Um, we've got time for a couple more questions. I think we started a little bit late, so are we okay to go a little bit longer, Faye? Yep. Um, over here, there's a microphone coming your way. Recording everything you say, so be careful. I just want to say this. What's happened to democracy? What are we talking about here when everyone's going, you know, our privacy's at stake and, and the government in cahoots with the corporations for whatever reason are affecting, you know, the quality of life on this planet for the, and the future? I mean, what do you think, panel? Uh, do you think we will regain democracy or is it just going to become a corporatocracy? There's a certain argument that democracy, in some aspects, has greatly benefited from the internet. You know, like, the, I mean, anonymous in its own weird kind of way is a wonderful form of democracy. The campaigns they launch into are, you know, popularity-driven. You know, like, the, the, the campaigns that work, work because so many people... Well, what is... I mean, democracy has an element of mob rule to it anyway. It's popularity contests anyway. It, I, I'm not saying it's totally that, but it's got an element... We frequently do. What are referendums? When was the last time we had a referendum? If, if, if Tony Abbott has its way, quite soon. Uh, I'd like to say something about that, if I may. Sure. Um, they say with your body, use it or lose it. 
And I'd say the same goes for democracy, use it or lose it. Um, we haven't had a democracy for that long in the scale of things and freedom in this country. Uh, my grandfather lost his life. My, my uh, uncle was, had third degree burns. My uncle Bert had his leg cut off fighting so that we would be free. Uh, and we need to constantly safeguard our rights or we will lose them. Um, um, that's probably all I've got to say. Um, and picking up on what Sulette said, um, you might only think you're one person. You might think all you can count on is self-interest in your local politician. But your one letter counts for a lot. And all our one letters count for a lot. They don't want to lose their seats. They're good politicians. There are people that believe in freedom and, and, and justice. There are also people there who are just watching their backsides. So I'd say get your backside down to your local office in whichever way you can. And what Sulette said is right about the letter and use it or lose your democracy. And it was interesting that there seemed to be a, almost a degree of unanimity that at some level the, the WikiLeaks technology and the, popul and, the, and the publicity associated with it has made it both easier and more secure for people to leak. Um, I think that's kind of edging in the direction of the public interest. But I think we have a question from a drug fuck bogan at the back uh, who'd like to... <laughs> Suggest that we're all wankers. Thank you, sir. Excellent. Um, no, no, no. He's gone. All been removed. Um, though we do, we do have a non-drug fucked borderline bogan at the back there. Who? It's all right. I'm sober. Um, yeah, I'm just saying. I'm from 4chan as well, so I'm part of that whole thing as well. But uh, my question's more for, um, in respect to WikiLeaks troop feeding a lot of the stuff in. Um, in the, in the cable documents that were leaked and also regards to the, the 256 bit code password that they've put on insurance and isn't that kind of contradictory to hold that information back as opposed to leaking it? Well okay. I'm glad you good, brought good that up actually. Can, can we just have a recap about the 256 code so that people un understand oh, what that is? Oh the insurance file, I think that's yeah, what so we're this talking is the, about this here. This is the Murdoch insurance file, yeah? Well, we don't really know we what's know. in it, do we? Okay. We just know that there's a file called insurance.whatever, AS or whatever. But it's funny, we don't normally take questions from furries, but um, we'll just... Uh, sorry, it's a 4chan joke, come on. Um, Grace, you just want to check the laws of defamation <laughs> do apply in this... I've always found it quite strange, too, that an that a organisation dedicated towards transparency has chosen to wrap up a whole bunch of secrets and say, we'll keep these secrets secret... For our, to protect our transparency organisation. I've always thought that's quite odd and perhaps I think it's smart to personally, but anyway, go on. <laughs> Christine? But is it a transparency organisation or is it a secret-keeping organisation? It's an acknowledgement that some secrets need to be kept because they're beneficial. Yep. It just seems a little bit hypocritical anyway. I, I think what's in that file is an endless loop of Lady Gaga's telephone. <laughs> Yeah, condensed, yeah. zipped up and encrypted heavily with military grade encryption. It's either got really interesting information or it was a very impressive PR technique to suggest it exists. Christine, what's in that file? I know, but I can't tell. <laughs> no, I don't know. Um, in fact, Jules and I can't even talk on the phone because of the bugging. So a lot of the times we just can't even be open with each other. But he's my son, and that's what I wanted to say now. He's not just the leader of WikiLeaks and the drive for transparency. My boy is sitting under house arrest in the UK. Um, whatever you think about WikiLeaks, 
the case that is running at the moment, the way that it's being run is wrong. Fair Trials International has condemned it. The UN has condemned it. It's a breach of many of the articles of the European Conventions of, on Human Rights. And I have a personal request for you. Uh, I know that 85% of Australians do not believe that Julian should be extradited, but this case could very well end up with a US extradition. We take for granted that um, Western countries have systems of uh, justice that are like our own, and in Sweden it's not like that at all. If you go to Sweden um, on an allegation of rape, you can be sitting in a jail in a solitary confinement without any visits from friends or lawyers for six months before you are charged. Um, a lot of concern is around this case that this is, uh, regardless of whether you believe the allegations or not, uh, there's a lot of stuff around the case that people aren't very happy with the way it's being run and that would lead to believe that there's political interference at some point in the case. And I have a personal request that if you believe that there is an injustice and if you read on, the, if you get into the internet, you'll, you'll find it, that you go down, down to your MP and say that you want the Australian government to give uh, humanitarian guarantees or, or get, seek them from the UK and Sweden that Julian will not be extradited to the US once he goes to Sweden, if that's what happens. And Grace would know more about that than I would. Well, personally, but, I think that's probably the best note that we could end this session on. Um, Oh, he's been asked to... Okay, all right, we'll have one question. Microphone's coming left and right. Watch out, watch out, watch out. Oh! <laughs> all I wanted to say is that we're actually lucky that we're in a society where someone like Julian has a chance to even prove because in, I've got friends who lost their parents in the purges in Russia before the war. What happened even as late in Argentina, in Chile or with Saddam Hussein, they just took him out and shot them. So at least someone has a chance to even prove if, if, he's, uh, if, he, if he has something to say. That would be a great point one. if you weren't a Carlton supporter. <laughs> Collingwood, <laughs> I'm kidding. isn't it? Well, th thanks very much for that comment. And it's certainly the case that you know, individual actions do make a difference. So if you believe in the basic principles of a fair trial, do what, what Christine said, write to your local MP or government. Please... Uh, thank all our members of the panel today, in particular Christine Assange and Julian Assange for the message. Thanks to all of you for coming to the Splendour Forum. Have a good Splendour and we'll see you later on. <laughs>